Wonderful. How are you guys doing? You all right? We are in our series called Paraclesis, which uh, we have started last week. Joe kicked off the uh, series last week. Um, Paraclesis is a Greek word that's found over 140 times in the New Testament, and it simply means to come alongside another, to help and to bring hope and care. And hopefully most of you picked up your companion guides. If you haven't got one, and not just because you forgot to bring it this morning, can you please raise your hands if you haven't yet got one? John will, there we go, there's a couple of hands there at the back, Rachel, Samson, yeah. Um, if you're visiting us this morning, uh, just having a, a look in, we've also got some sheets for you just so you can get involved this Sunday. Again, if you could raise your hand, if you uh, obviously don't need a book because you're just visiting, but you would like a sheet to keep track of where we're going this morning, do raise your hand. Um, just so you can keep up, we're on page 32 of your guides. Um, if you were here last week, you would have noticed we've got some blanks to fill in. And uh, most of these blanks will come up on the PowerPoint as we go. But just a word of warning, not all of them will. Okay, This was originally designed to be over an hour-long preach. You might be pleased to hear we have cut it down to about 35 minutes, see how we go. But uh, most of the answers will come up. I might not re- refer to all of them, but hopefully they will come up. But just in case you miss some, um, let me know. I can email you the PowerPoint so you can fill it in. Or you can just work it out yourself or in your life groups. The scriptures are next to most of those blanks. So... Um, who can remember what the last, uh, the word, key word was for last week? Caring. Well done. Caring was the key word for last week. This week's key word is loving. Last week we looked at how caring for others is an absolute core value for anyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. Jesus, of course, himself exemplified a selfless, caring, compassionate love. Ultimately, as we've been singing about and as we've been taking communion, remembering about, this love was ultimately demonstrated when he gave his life for you and me on the cross. An amazing demonstration of selfless love. And you know what? As Christians, we too are called to die to ourselves and live for Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian, to die to yourself and to live for Christ, which by its very nature means we are to also live for others. It's what Jesus commanded us to do. It's also what he modeled for us. And As Joe pointed out last week, we saw how this core value of caring for others is seriously countercultural. We live in a world that that cares for number one, that that celebrates and feeds self-gain. And uh, I read a a tweet, I saw a tweet by Nikki Gumbel the other week. Uh, It basically said this, people were created to be loved, things were created to be used. The world is in chaos because things are being loved and people are being used. I think that's quite profound and it explains an awful lot of today's culture, the prevailing culture. And so this call to to love and care for others is constantly being challenged. 
constantly being challenged. We're going against the flow, if you like. Joe talked about selfies. It's now an official word in the English language. And, you know, it's almost like self-promotion has become an art form. Social media is a great platform to hide all the things you're ashamed about and to promote all the things people will like about you. Now, of course, social media is not bad in itself. It's neutral. It's like money. It's neutral. It can be used for self, selfish means, for self-promotion, or it can be used to be a, a great blessing to others. It's like our words. Our words can boast and build ourselves up at the expense of others and push others down, or our words can encourage others and build up others. In all these things, it's all about a conscious decision. How are we going to use what we have available to us? It's a conscious decision that we have to make. And so this morning's title is simply a question. To care or not to care? That is the question. Are we going to follow the world's model of caring for number one, looking out for number one, or Jesus' model of caring for others? And as I've been reading through this, this course, the key really here is not just to agree that having a, a core value of caring for others is a good thing to have. Yeah, we all agree caring for others is tick the box. It's a good value to have. We can't stop there. We can't just agree that it's a good value. We have to actively create a culture of care within our own family of believers as well as our own families as well, our own biological families. We have to actively create a completely different culture to the one that's out there, a culture of acceptance, a culture of love, a culture where people are not afraid to reveal their true selves. Claire is, in fact, writing a book at the moment all about taking off your mask in life itself, but particularly in the church family, being authentic in the church family. I can't wait for that book to come out. And I, was, I, was, I came across a church that in their lobby has got a, a, a sign above the coat hooks that says, obviously, please leave your coats here. Next to it, there's another sign, please leave your masks here. I, I quite like that because, you know, of all places, when we gather as church, there should be a culture of acceptance, of love, where we move beyond just niceties. And cliches, how are you doing? I'm fine. How's your day? How's your week been? Yes, okay. We move beyond that. And actually, we can be authentic and vulnerable with one another without fear of judgment or rejection. The bottom line is, and really this is the gist of this whole week, this core value of care that we all agree on, hopefully, it needs to be translated into a core culture in the church, a culture of care. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen here because I believe it does. We've had some wonderful testimonies of people saying how the church family gathered around them. I believe it does happen here. But the thing is, this is so countercultural. We have to keep on pushing this agenda. 
We have to keep on being intentional about it, about creating this culture of preferring one another and caring for, for one another. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, should come up there, there we go, says this. We must also consider how to encourage one another to show love and to do good things or good works. We should not stop gathering together with other believers as is the habit of some. Instead, we must continue to encourage one another. The paraclesis word in that verse is to encourage, to come alongside one another and encourage each other. We need to make it a habit. The, the word, the Greek word used there in that passage for habit is the word ethos, which is the word we, we still use today in our own everyday language. We're, we're to create an intentional ethos or culture of care within our church family. And it, it's interesting, the writer to the Hebrews here is flagging up that some people are leaving the church. Some people are not gathering together. And according to surveys, by far the biggest reason why people leave the church today is because they simply didn't feel cared for. Now, some people attend church with a a warped concept of it's all about me and therefore they get hurt when their needs are not totally met without thinking, well, I can give and receive. There is something to do with that, but I think there's an awful lot about the general culture of care within the church around the world today. Trevor Partridge, who wrote this series, talks about a front door, back door syndrome. And what he means is that sometimes we can spend so much energy getting people through the front door. You know, we can be very good at that. But we can also fail to create a culture that can contain these people, a culture of care. And so they slip out of the back door unnoticed and often hurt. The truth is most people tend not to give up on God. They tend to give up on the church first. Bumped into a young guy on the high street during the Hope for Sutton outreach. He'd given up on the church. He'd he'd taken some offense, given up on it. And I actually quoted this passage, the Hebrews 10 passage to him. Don't neglect meeting up together. He had some pretty skewed theology. Kind of comes from trying to work through this on your own. We need one another. We need one another. I encouraged him, find a church that can come alongside you and can care for you. Every family, every organization, every church family basically has a culture either by design, intentional design, or by default. We either work hard at creating the culture here or the culture will be shaped for us. I came across one of these YouTube clips that uh, generally wastes a lot of time. I don't know if you kind of scout through some of these YouTube clips. But actually, this one was quite interesting. It was an experiment done in a lift. We had a little camera in the lift. And the idea was one person would walk into the lift. And normally when you walk into a lift, you walk in, turn around and face the doors. This person walked in and just stood facing the back wall. And one by one, as people entered the lift on different floors, they too walked in and stood facing the back wall because this person was. 
Even, they said, people who had used this lift countless times and knew there weren't another set of doors. You know, some lifts have a double set that open out. They knew this lift wasn't like that, yet they still felt compelled to, oh, everyone's facing this way. It was amazing. One by one, they all turned around to face the back wall. And our culture is like that. If we are not setting the agenda, the prevailing culture will. We've got to be intentional about that. So the question is, how do we intentionally set a culture of care in our church family? And I think this is perhaps something you can look at in more detail in your life groups or as you go through your daily journal. Um, how, how do we set intentionally this culture of care? I'm just going to flag up the headings that are in our books. Firstly, it comes all from this Hebrews 10 passage that we read out. Firstly, we are to take every opportunity to encourage and love one another. We make it a habit. The opportunities are out there. Galatians 6.10, whenever we have the opportunity to help anyone, we should do it. You notice those words, whenever and anyone. But we should give special attention to those who are in the family of believers. It's got to start here, folks. It's got to start here. If we continue to develop a culture of care here, it will impact and overflow out there. Hebrews 3.13, encourage each other every day while you have the opportunity. The opportunities are there if we open our eyes to them. Secondly, verse 24 says, consider how to encourage. In other words, engage your mind. Plan it. Think about it. Be proactive. How can I encourage someone today? You know, this morning, you know, as we as we gather on a Sunday morning, can I encourage you? Who can I encourage this morning? Who can I sit next to? Do you turn up and just sit in your usual place? Or do you think, actually, I spotted there's a person there who's who's sometimes on their own? Maybe I can draw alongside them and and just give them some company. Maybe they would appreciate that. Allow the Holy Spirit to drop people onto your hearts. Who can I text? Who can I pick up the phone to? Who can I invite around for, the me- for a meal? Maybe you're rubbish at cooking. Maybe so are they. Who cares? Invite them. They would appreciate a call. They'd appreciate the invite. Be intentional about it. Who could, who could do us some practical help? It's great Davika sent an email around asking for some practical help. I love that. We're family. I love that. But don't even wait to be asked. It's, it's down to us to create the culture and be proactive. Consider how. Thirdly, we're to continue on. I hope these are coming up. That's brilliant. Continue on. And, you know, this isn't, I really want to be clear. This Paraclesis series is not just this month we are going to focus on care. And next month we'll focus on something else. No, no, this is a, a culture. This is a habit. We need to keep on being proactive in developing this culture of caring for one another. We need to allow it to shape our hearts. Can I encourage you as you go through these 40 days, allow the Holy Spirit to shape your hearts. Allow the compassion of Jesus to shape your hearts. This isn't just a, a monthly focus on care. We're called to be a community known for its love. John 13, 34. It was our memory verse. Can you all remember it? Anyone brave enough to, uh, to say it out? 
A new commandment. Go for it. Shout it out. Brilliant. That is awesome. Well done. Yes. As I have loved you. Yes. So you must love one another. Verse 35 goes on to say, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. It's, it's, it couldn't be clearer than that, could it? It couldn't be clearer than that. But what does that look like in practice? What does a loving community look like in practice? Well, firstly, again, in your books, you'll see, I'm going to zip down a little bit. People don't have problems, they have needs. You think, well, isn't that just semantics? Actually, I don't think so. I think it's very easy to label certain people as problem people. Oh, they're they're just problem people. Yeah, we need to gather around the problem people and solve their problems. That, I think, is a really unhealthy way of looking at it. They are simply people with needs. And guess what? We all have needs. We are all needy people. We go through different seasons of needing extra help than at other times. Yes. But we all have needs. We all have core needs. Psychologists say there's there's three core needs that every human being needs. The first one is a sense. They need to know a sense of belonging. It's a sense of feeling secure, feeling accepted, Everyone needs to know that. Secondly, you need to know a sense of value, a sense of self-worth, that you actually mean something to someone. It's a core value we all have. Thirdly, we all need to have a sense of purpose, a sense of significance, that I am here for a reason. These are the big questions in life. These are big needs. And the Bible tells us that every single one of these core needs is found in a relationship with God. That's where it's found. That's where these needs are ultimately met. Right at the beginning of time, Adam and Eve, they never lacked for any of these things. At the very beginning, they knew total security, total acceptance, total self-worth in God. But of course, when they rebelled against God, when sin came into the world, when, when they were cut off from God, they, they, in effect, turned their backs on the source of their security, on the source of their value and purpose. And from then on, people have been looking For these needs to be met in all the wrong places. In all the wrong places. And the truth is, these core needs can still only truly be met in God. Through Jesus. And it's expressed through his body, the church, by the Holy Spirit. It's you and me, folks. It's expressed through us. As we saw in our Father's Heart series, when we repent and come to God, he adopts us into his family. It's an amazing place of privilege. It's an amazing place of acceptance. We can know truly the acceptance from the Father, our Heavenly Father. But also, we can experience that love and acceptance through his family, the church, through you and me. Secondly, a loving community is a community that receives love as well as gives love. And I think that's so important. You know, it's it's hard sometimes to receive love, particularly if you've been hurt. 
or manipulated in the past. I can't receive love. Maybe someone's spoken over your life that you're worthless and you've believed that lie. You find it hard to receive love for yourself again. That's why this Father's Heart series that we did just prior to this one is so important. It's so important we get that foundation right so that this series can flow out of that, that sense of total acceptance. We need to to receive God's love before we can give out love. We love as we have been loved. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because God first loved us. He is love. We love with his love. You know, it's very hard to love others until you fully know how much you are loved. Do you know how much you are loved this morning? Do you know that? This isn't a call to give out of an empty tank. This is a call to give and love others out of an overflow. How much God has loved you. It's an overflow. We need to get these foundations right. We love as we have been loved. You see, when we, when we truly understand that, then there is a, a, a sense of authenticity about us. When we love as we have been loved, it's an authentic love. It's not through dead works, I've been told I must love you. I've been told I must care for you. No, it's just an, it's an overflow. I have been so blessed by the love of God. I want to come alongside you and, and lead you to the same, the same source of that love. God is love. He can't stop loving. And there's a sense of authenticity. That's our fourth point. A loving community is an authentic community. It's an authentic. We just read in John 13, 35, everyone will know you are my disciples by your clever teaching, by your pious prayers. Oh, he's definitely a disciple of... No. If you love one another... It's, it's a well-known verse, but have we thought this through? It's amazing that the one true sign of authentic followers of Jesus is the way they love one another. Not, not even how much we love Jesus, but by how much we love one another. That's what people see. That's what people experience. In tomorrow's journal, you'll read that the biggest deterrent to people coming to Christ is not a lack of evangelism in the church. It's actually a lack of, of, of love and care being demonstrated in the, in the church. A lot of people think the church is judgmental. You know, again, on social media, I feel so sad when I see some of the comments coming from Christians just fighting each other. You just think, this is what the world's seeing. You know, why should I come to church? I feel bad about myself, enough about myself already. That was a comment that a prostitute made to a pastor when he invited her to church. Why should I come to church? I feel bad enough about myself already. Folks, it's it's up to us. It's down to us to model something different, to, to show people what an authentic community of believers actually looks like. It's a wonderful privilege and a great challenge. So how did Jesus model this loving, caring community. Well, let's turn to Mark chapter 6. It's the uh, well-known story of the feeding of the 5,000, the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. And just to set the scene, Jesus has had a manic day. He has been teaching and healing and ministering to, to people. On top of that, he's just had news that his cousin, John the Baptist, has just had his head chopped off. Been a difficult day, hard day at the office, if you like. 
And he just wants to spend some time with his disciples, relaxing, just some downtime, chilling out, being refreshed. I don't know if you recognize that feeling ever. <laughs> this is where verse 32 kicks off. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. At last, we've got some time to ourselves. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and rebuked them and sent them home. No, no, he didn't. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late in case you hadn't noticed. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. How very caring of the disciples. Maybe they just wanted to go home. Verse 37. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, doing the maths quickly, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. You know, Jesus, come on. Let's be reasonable here. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. I wonder how long that took to, to organize. Oh, sat down. Anyway, I'll leave that to your imagination. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave it back to the disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate. And was satisfied. Some translations said they ate to their fill. Amazing, amazing miracle. But I don't know about you. Sometimes I find it very helpful to place myself in the story. I would have been tempted to say, if I was Jesus, look, it's been a hard day. I've just had some bad news. I've been on my feet. I'm tired. My team is tired. We need some me time. You know, and that's the line his disciples took. This is reasonable, Jesus. You've been busy. Send them away. Send them away. This is where we really see Jesus' heart, though. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I think the disciples' attitude would be probably a lot like mine would have been. We, we can suffer from compassion deficit disorder. I think it's very, very easy. We live in a busy world. It's so easy to disconnect from other people's needs. It's their problem. It's not mine. I'm I'm busy enough as it is. We discount ourselves from reaching out to others. I'm too busy. I'm barely holding it together myself, you know. know, Maybe another time. I'd love to. I just don't have the resources. Maybe when God blesses me more, I'd be able to bless others more. I wonder if any of those resonate with you. Some of them do with me, if I'm honest. But the thing is, Jesus didn't see these people as 5,000 problems. He saw it as a wonderful opportunity 
to demonstrate his love and his compassion. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion for them. And time and time again, when you read through the gospel accounts, you see this phrase, Jesus moved with compassion. And that opened up the door to the most incredible miracles, healing, deliverance, meeting people at their point of need because he was moved with compassion. You know what? He wants us to do the same. If you notice in this story, he doesn't let the disciples off the hook. He doesn't buy their line that it's not my problem. Doesn't let them get away with it. He doesn't even say, look, leave it to me. Leave it to me. Let me sort this out. He turns directly to them. You give them something to eat. You know, it's lovely you're bringing this to my attention. Lovely that you're caring for the people. Great, now go and feed them. It's like, wow. And as Jesus' disciples, we too need to take responsibility for the needs of others. And say, it's not their problem. It's my opportunity. It's a totally countercultural mindset. This is not my problem. It's my opportunity. This is the way God works. Still today, this is the way God works. It's through you and me that he chooses to bless others. Through you and me. Which means we don't really have any excuses, do we? We don't have any excuses. The disciples immediately look to their limitations. As I said, did the maths. This is unreasonable, Jesus. Eight months wages. Come on, we just don't have the resources. I find it very easy to make excuses why I can't help someone. Time is usually a key factor in it. But you know what? It's down to priorities, isn't it? Jesus needed a break. He he needed to make time for himself. And you could say, well, that's good leadership. You need to prioritize things. Actually, at other times, he did go away. And refresh himself with his father. Just spend some time alone. But you know what? He said, no, this is an opportunity where I can bless someone else. I can bless others. Often we we are so quick to discount ourselves. Be it through time, resources, finances. What can my five loaves and two fish do? What good can that do? But we need to stop looking at what we don't have. And start trusting God with what we do have what do you have that you can give to him to be a blessing to someone else as i said last sunday when we introduced this whole um this whole series this room is full of life experiences that people can use to bless others you are resource rich in many many ways Uh, maybe you think your past disqualifies you Maybe you think, well, when my life is more together, then I can start thinking about helping others. But you know what? The truth is, it may be that the very situation that you are going through now uniquely qualifies you to help someone else. Let's take what we have and place it in God's hands. Jesus, it's it's nothing really. Yeah, but in his hands, he can multiply it. Trust him with the resources we have. I think it's very easy to go halfway down this compassion journey, like the disciples did. Kind of flag up a care. Jesus, these people are hungry. You know, we can, we can, we can be moved with compassion enough to pray about it. God, what are you going to do about this situation? And don't get me wrong, prayer is powerful. It is effective. It is vital. But the question is, do we care enough 
to, to actually be the answer to that prayer. When God turns to us and says, okay, you do something about it and I will work through you. Do we care enough to be the answer to our own prayers? You know, when we are asked to do the equivalent of feeding thousands of people, do we look in our larder and go, (laughs) this is impossible, sorry, don't have the resources? Or will we trust that if God asks us to do something, that he will make the way? He will make the way if we're faithful with what we've got. You know, if we have an opportunity to give financially, do we look at our meager bank account? Or do we look at the incredible blessing that God will bring through it with whatever we trust in his hands? I love the fact that the Gospels record that 12 baskets of leftovers were gathered. It's incredible. 12, but these are big baskets. You know, there's, there's many theological reasons for the number 12. I just love the fact that there was one each for each of the disciples. It just smacks that God is, is able to do abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. We can trust him with the little that we offer. What a privilege. What a privilege. And that's the, the lesson Jesus is wanting us to learn today through this. To give whatever we do have to him. And trust in his resources and in his power to meet the need. That's an amazing privilege, isn't it? Amazing privilege. You know, as Jesus placed that blessed bread back into the hands of the disciples, they had the opportunity to distribute the miracle themselves. If you think about it, there's no record of the bread growing in Jesus' hands. Is there? It doesn't suddenly become this enormous colossal loaf. He just broke it and gave it back to them. Now go and feed the people. That takes faith, doesn't it? It takes faith. I remember a preacher talking on this, and he did this little role play, kind of the disciple going, are you sure, Jesus? It's, it, it's still the same size. And going up to the first person, and you can imagine the conversation, take a tiny bit. <laughs> take a tiny bit and as they stepped out in faith and obedience trusting that Jesus knows what he's doing the bread and the fish just kept coming and just kept coming and just kept coming that's how it works we trust God with the little that we have and he is faithful we get the privilege of distributing the miracle as I mentioned Bono said that caring for others is not a burden But it's a privilege and an adventure. What an adventure these disciples were on as they were learning this lesson of compassion and care. Trevor Partridge, as I said, who wrote this series, says this, Compassion is the seedbed for the miraculous. I love that. Where compassion is, miracles happen. You see that time and time again in the gospel accounts and at other times. You know, when we stop looking at our limited resources and making excuses, but allow God's compassion to move us to faith and obedience, that's when the doors open and allow God to impact and meet the need. God wants to meet people's felt needs. He loves to meet people at their point of need. Because, you know, so often when people's felt needs are met, that then opens the door for them to receive their ultimate need. And that's the forgiveness of their sins. 
John 6 tells us that on the back of this feeding of the 5,000, Jesus then launches in to explain how he is the bread of life. The compassion of Jesus opens the door to the gospel. I'm the bread of life. It comes to me, you'll never go hungry. It's wonderful, wonderful. We've just taken in communion, you know, the bread, the symbol, bread of life, the body broken for us, that we might be in relationship with God again. Wonderful. A great illustration, actually, in our church right now is, is uh, Jean's ladies group. They've been befriending residents of Belsize Court. It's Belsize Court, isn't it? And doing bingo nights and, or bingo afternoons and be, uh, beetle drives. Still haven't worked out what a beetle drive is, but anyway. And it's wonderful. Just coming alongside. They're doing this paraclesis thing. Coming alongside others, befriending them, caring for them. And you know what? They've just had an invitation to do a Christian service this Friday morning. Is that right? Isn't that amazing? They've been asked, can you do a service for us on Friday morning? Do pray for them. Doors opening up. As people show compassion, the doors to the gospel open up. Because Jesus wants to meet our felt needs. He also wants to meet our deepest spiritual needs as well. You know what? The disciples, just looking at the time, I have to rush through this. The disciples, the, the penny finally dropped. They did get this. They did understand this whole culture of care. They learnt it. And we see that as, they, as Acts unfolds, as we see them and the church developing and growing. We see this culture of care right the way through. When, when, when Peter and John are walking past this lame man who's asking for some money, they, this time they don't say, sorry, no loose change at the moment. I would if I could, but I can't. They didn't do that. This, they had learned the lesson. They said, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I give you. They placed what they did have, which was faith for this guy to be healed, in God's hands. And that opened the door to another miracle. As this lame guy jumps off the ground, leaps around praising God. Compassion opening up the door to the gospel. They, they, they said, look at me. They looked straight at him with compassion. What I do have, I give you. Wonderful. And we see this right the way through the early church. This culture of care and compassion there's this incredible verse acts 434 i find this so challenging there was not a needy person among them isn't that an amazing testimony there was not one needy person among the early church at this time for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles feet and they would be distributed to each one as any had need what a challenge. What a, what a testimony. And it was this core value of care. This was the thing that was reported right the way around the Roman world. The Roman historians, the Jewish historians. This was the thing that they commented on. There is this crazy, growing bunch of people that seem to genuinely love one another. What's that all about? It was totally countercultural. Guess what? It's totally countercultural today. The world sits up and watches when the church loves one another. And you know what? When we are truly caring for one another in the church, then it will impact and overflow into our communities. It will. I just want to finish by just prompting our, our eyes back onto our move in Highfield Hall. It's just so exciting seeing that very physical transformation of a building. But you know what? We are going to be a lot more visible as a church when we move. 
And, and really my question is, what are people going to find when they see us? Will, will, they, will they see a community that simply reflects our culture? Not enough time, not enough resources, not enough care. Or will they discover a community where Jesus' compassion and care is stamped all over it? All over it. A, a community that actually just trusts God with whatever resources we do have. They sit in his hands and trust him to multiply it to meet the needs of others. Is that what they're going to see? I, I, that's my prayer. That they too will be drawn in to know the love of the Father for themselves. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4 is a key verse right the way throughout this series. And in the message it says this. God comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else going through hard times. So that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. That's the culture of paraclesis. That's the ethos of care that we're trying to develop and promote. As God has come alongside us, so we come alongside others. As we move into this next season, let's make sure that we are building a culture centered on the compassion and grace of Jesus. Because that's a culture where miracles can happen. Amen? Amen.